today in this talk, I will highlight some other aspects in regard to metta, loving-kindness, and the practice of metta, the cultivation of loving-kindness. And I want to begin with a quote from a Tibetan Buddhist master who lived in the past century. It was Dilko Kienze Rinpoche. He had said, Each morning our first thought should be to dedicate the day for the well-being of all sentient beings. In other words, this is metta. And as Sayadaw has said time and again, metta is the wish for the well-being and happiness of all living beings. And this benevolent wish for the well-being and happiness of all living beings, this can be expressed in various ways. You know, for example, with the wish, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Or, may all beings be free from danger and harm. Or it could be, may all beings live at ease and in peace. Or, may all beings be free from all kinds of suffering. Or, may all beings be safe and protected. So first of all, I want to say a few words about how we speak about metta. Because the words that we use can be either misleading or directing us in the right direction. So when talking about the practice of metta, good words are to cultivate loving-kindness or to develop um, metta. You know, from the word metta bhavana, metta meditation, bhavana more literally means causing to be, to cause something to be. So this cultivation of kindness to be in us, that we are kindness, that we are friendly, that we are benevolent. Or another word that also leads us in the right direction is when we say to radiate metta. I have heard especially Western Dhamma teachers, using the word to send metta. And this can be misleading, you know, when the uh, instruction is, and now send metta to your benefactor, send metta to your friend. Because this word to send something, we know it like some time ago, we still sent letters to our friends. Nowadays, we send emails or we send messages to other people. And, you know, when the other person got the letter or the message, the email, 
then we were successful. And likewise, when we say, send meta to your friend, it might imply, or we, people might understand it in the way, if I only send enough meta to my friend, for example, then I will be successful when this friend you know, gets my meta. It's like when this friend is like getting a hit boom, um, of my meta. But as by now you have probably understood, it's not like that at all. As you have understood by now, it's the cultivation of loving kindness, of friendliness in our heart and mind to make it strong here so that it pervades our whole being and from there it radiates out. And so you know with that, also Sayedo, Ayaviranyani myself, we have said many times that our strong and powerful metta does affect other people. It has obvious palpable effects on others. But this doesn't happen because we are sending out the metta, but this happens on account of the powerful and strong metta in our heart that radiates outward. So that's why we speak of cultivating loving-kindness, developing metta, or radiating metta. And we take the other person, be it the benefactor, the neutral person, the enemy, or all living beings, so we take the other person only as the object of our metta meditation, of the cultivation of loving-kindness, in order to strengthen this quality in ourselves, in our heart, in our mind. So there is no need to send anything out. But then, however, as a natural unfolding of this practice, as a natural result, or as a natural byproduct, other people, other living beings, do actually benefit from our metta. So there is no doubt that our pure, genuine and powerful metta does have effect on other people, on other living beings. It's like strong and powerful metta radiates from a person like a jasmine flower that pervades the air with its scent. If there is only one jasmine flower, then the scent is quite faint. But if there is a big bunch of jasmine flowers, and here in Burma they, they, they love the jasmine flowers, sometimes at the side of the road or at the junction, there are people with whole bundles, strings, full of jasmine flowers, selling it to uh, the drivers. And then they hang it into their car in the middle where their 
back mirror is. <clears throat> so with many jasmine flowers, then the scent is quite strong. A jasmine flower has no intention to send out its scent. It's just a natural occurrence. And so likewise, it's with our meta. It just radiates. The stronger it is, the more the stronger is the radiation. I'm very fortunate that I have met several persons whose kindness and loving care, friendliness, was really very strong, at times even like palpable, or it really had a direct, um, obvious effect on my system. One of these persons was a famous Sayadaw here in Burma. His name was Daminya Sayadaw. He was also well known as the Metta Sayadaw. He passed away in 2003. But before he passed away, I had the opportunity to go and pay respect to him. At that time, <clears throat> I was practicing with Sayadaw Ujjanaka at the Chamiyeta Center in Yangon. And there was also a Malaysian monk who was practicing there. And the Burmese family who sponsored the Malaysian monk invited him and also me and another friend uh, for this pilgrimage to meet Daminya Sayado. So they hired a couple of cars and we left very early in the morning. It's southeast of Yangon where he lived. On the way there we had to cross a river with a ferry. There was no bridge there at that time. And at the other side of the river, there were a couple of guest houses, restaurants. And as it was time for lunch, we had lunch in one of these guest houses. And the owners were actually friends of the Burmese family who had invited us. So we not only got a lovely lunch, but then they offered us some rooms of their guest house where we could take some rest, lie down. Well, all the others lie down and had a nice rest. I had many trips to the loo, to the toilet. Something in the food did not agree with my system. So I had quite severe diarrhea. And then after an hour, an hour and a half, it was time to move on. And I can't exactly remember how I made these two hours in the car. But finally, we got there, and getting out of the car, my first concern was, ah, where's the toilet? So we were there late afternoon. And because it's such a famous Sayadaw, there were every day hundreds of people, Burmese people, going to see him. So they had big dormitories where people could spend the night, because for most of the people to see Daminya Sayadom, that would happen early morning, 3 a.m. <laughs> he would give a talk and then give some blessings to the people. 
but for more important people. And the Burmese family arranged that the Malaysian monk, myself and my other friend, could go and see him more privately. And that was in the evening at 7 o'clock in his room. So until it was 7, I had many more trips to the toilet. And then we went up, up to the top of the hill where his residence was. We went inside. Some other uh, fortunate people were there too. So sitting down, Saida was not yet in the room, waiting, and still in my belly it was a lot of activity. And I thought, oh, I hope he comes quickly. How long can I, you know, be here before running out? So I was there, worrying, waiting five minutes, ten minutes. Oh, please come, come, come. Fifteen minutes. But what I started to notice was that the activity in my belly was getting a bit less. Okay. After 20 minutes, Saido came into the room, sat on the big throne, like here, and I was sitting quite close to him, maybe just a little bit closer than here. At that time, I could not speak Burmese, so I did not understand what he was saying, but just sitting there and just taking in the whole atmosphere. And the most remarkable thing was I noticed as soon as he was in the room sitting there, my system quieted down. All the activity in my belly just stopped. And I was sitting there at ease, peacefully, no more worries at all, just very calm, peaceful. And so that when the talk was finished, he handed out some presents to the people in there. I also got a bag full of uh, little booklets and even DVDs and so on. So accepting it gratefully. And after about an hour, everything was finished. We left the room. And as soon as I stepped out of his uh, house, it started again, the whole movement, and it was, where is the next toilet? <laughs> so quite remarkable. At this place, I think it is useful to say a few words on the usage of the word mind, or as I often use, the heart and the mind. Sayadaw in his talks often uses the word metasei. Meta is meta. Sei is the Burmese word for mind. It's the Burmese word for citta in Pali. And citta basically or often is translated as mind. But you know, often, especially people from the West, mind might refer more to the 
intellectual side of the mind, the analytical part, the, that part that reflects and analyzes and is intellectual. But the, the Pali word citta also includes what we would refer to as emotions, emotional states, such as joy, anger, compassion, uh, sympathetic joy, greed, jealousy, and so on. And so that's why I find it um, more useful to use the heart and the mind when talking of citta, so to include kind of both aspects of anything that happens in the mind, be it thoughts, fantasies, reflections, or emotional states like aversion, greed, kindness, compassion, and so on. The instructions that you have got for the metta meditation practice is to choose a person as the object of your metta meditation and then use a phrase, a metta wish, in order to cultivate this quality of loving kindness or benevolence and so on. You know, as I mentioned in the beginning, a metta wish such as May my teacher be well, happy, and peaceful. And as you have heard, the instruction is to repeat this wish over and over and over again. And at the beginning, it might happen that, you know, this repetition of this wish um, feels boring or it becomes monotonous or automatic and then meditators get frustrated or they even get upset or makes them restless and when this happens that's natural you know um, it doesn't mean that you do something wrong or that the practice um, is done in a wrong way. At the beginning, the nivaranas, the hindrances, are still quite strong. Like the main hindrances or the five nivaranas, which are sensual desire, aversion, sloth and torpor, restlessness and remorse, and skeptical doubt. And so when these hindrances are arising instead of the metta, then, as I said, meditators may think that this practice is not working. And so people then think, well, I better quit. Why should I continue with that when nothing is happening? Why be miserable when I could do something more pleasant? But as Sayadaw, Ayaviranyani and myself are telling you again and again, also in the interviews and in the instructions, you should simply continue with the cultivation of loving-kindness. Keep uh, Keeping this repetition of the metaphrase up, patiently, 
perseveringly. But of course, you know, not just repeating it mechanically, automatically, but, you know, the intention is to really connect with the meaning of these words, to make it a heartfelt wish coming from the depths of your heart. And you know, loving kindness, benevolence, friendliness, this is not a quality that we need to um, develop from scratch. We all have this quality in our heart and mind. You know, time and again, you have been kind. For example, you have been kind to a stranger who asked the way to the railway station. Or you have spoken kind and comforting words to a friend in distress. Or you have been kind by carrying the heavy shopping bags for an elderly lady up the stairs onto the third floor. So this quality of loving kindness is already in your heart, in your mind. The only thing is that we do not always have access to this benevolent quality when opposing states of mind are strong, such as anger, aversion, or greed and craving, then metta is hidden or maybe submerged. It's not completely lost. It only does not have the power to unfold its benevolent influence. And so it is for this reason that we need to strengthen this beneficial quality of the heart. So we need to make it much stronger, much more pervasive. And so this metta meditation retreat is actually like a metta gym where you strengthen your metta muscles by doing this exercise repeatedly. And we should cultivate and strengthen this quality of metta until it becomes a boundless state. So until there are no more boundaries, until there is no more discrimination, no more limitations, until each and every living being is included in each situation under all conditions. Then it becomes unconditional. It becomes boundless and limitless. Of course, this is a high bar, but it is possible. Pema Chodron is a Western nun ordained in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition, and she compares the practice of cultivating metta to watering a seed. She said, When we repeat the metta phrases, it is as if we pour water on the seeds of metta so that they can start to grow. 
Yeah, each repetition is like a drop of water on the metta seed. I have never been a big gardener, but some years ago I started to plant sunflowers in the spring to put them out in the garden. And with the sunflowers, it's quite gratifying. I put them into the earth in spring, water them every day, and after about 10 days, they start to sprout. Then they grow, can put them in the garden, and then I have beautiful sunflowers <clears throat> in the summer. Some years ago, a friend of mine went to Bodhgaya, where the Buddha became enlightened under the big body tree, and he collected some of the seeds that had fallen down on the ground. And he gave me some of these seeds. And I planted them, and they were tiny, tiny, tiny little seeds. So I planted them, and as with the sunflower seeds, watering them regularly, waiting 10 days, nothing. Two weeks, nothing. Four weeks, nothing. Should I continue? Oh, well, I might just try. Two months watering them, nothing happened yet. I thought, oh, well, maybe, you know. Uh, they don't like the Swiss climate or whatever. But I didn't give up. I kept watering these seeds. And then, finally, after three months, they started to sprout. And then I had quite a number of little body trees, and they grew and grew and grew, and I had to cut them, and I gave them away to friends. But, you know, that showed very clearly if I had given up after two months, then I wouldn't have gotten the body trees. But it needed my patience, my perseverance, just doing it, just doing it with the confidence that something good would emerge from it. And so, especially at the beginning of the metta practice, or sometimes we have kind of these dry phases in our practice, in these times, even if we only repeat the words, the metta wish, this is already good enough. So with this, we signal our willingness to cultivate loving-kindness, to direct the mind in this direction. You know, we signal the intention that this is what I want to do. It's like the goodwill that we want to cultivate this quality of the heart. And so each time we verbalize this wish, you know, internally, we pour a little bit of water on the metta seed. And this will definitely cause a transformation to happen in our heart and mind. For some, a bit quicker, like the sunflower seeds. For some, it takes more time, like the body tree seeds. And you know, 
If you have planted an apple seed, you do not need to worry that you will get a mango tree. You definitely will get an apple tree. So if you plant the seeds of kindness, kindness will grow. At one time, the Dalai Lama was asked what his religion was. And the person asking this question kind of expected a long and detailed explanation about Buddhism. However, the Dalai Lama's answer was very short. He simply said, My religion is kindness. And kindness, metta, is not something that pertains exclusively to Buddhism or to any other religion. Kindness is a universal quality that can be found all around the world, wherever human beings are. And even animals can show kindness to other animals or human beings. Ayaviranyani mentioned it, this universality of metta at the beginning of her talk yesterday. I know two Christian nuns who have dedicated their life to be kind and friendly human beings. And at one time, they lived in a Muslim village in the Philippines. And there, what they did, it was just being nice neighbors, you know, to help in, uh, to fill in a form, or to take somebody to a doctor, or to show the women how to sew dresses for the girls on a sewing machine, or they showed the people how to plant medicinal plants, how to use them. So they lived there for eight years. After that, they moved on, going to a different place. And the people in that village were very sad that these two nuns left. The villagers said that these two nuns helped them to become better Muslims. And for the two nuns, this was the most heartening compliment that they could get. Down near Mandalay in Amarapura, there is a very famous monastery where hundreds of monks, novices, are learning the scriptures. This monastery was established by the late Mahagandayon Sayadaw, who lived from 1900 to 1977. Also Sayadaw Uindaka, he has studied at that monastery under Mahagandhyan Sayadaw. So this monastery is well known all over Burma for its strict discipline, but also for the very high standard of learning. Mahagandhyan Sayadaw was a very learned monk, but he had also the gift 
of teaching the Dhamma in plain and simple words to lay people. So the monastic discipline, the Vinaya, was kept very strictly in this monastery, but Mahagandayan Sayadaw set up another list of ten points that had to be followed by everybody. And the first and most important point was to have a good heart. Other points included to keep the monastery, the room clean, or to use um, true beneficial speech. And only the tenth, the last point, was to learn and study well. And we must remember, it, it was, it is a learning, a study monastery. So it's quite significant that a learned monk like Mahagandayan Sayadaw stressed the importance so much of having a good heart. You know, giving that even more weight than passing all the exams well. In the explanation of these ten points, he explained that we should act, speak, and think with a good heart and always think of how we can benefit others and ourselves and that we should always avoid harming others and ourselves. So if our actions spring from a good heart, and from a meta heart, then they will be wholesome and beneficial. Now I'm going to speak about meta and its place in the context of the Buddha's teaching. So meta is a samatha practice, samatha meditation, and there are 40 objects given to practice samatha meditation, concentration meditation. And metta is one of the four Brahma-viharas. You know them uh, from the chants we do. And on one of the sheets you have a short description or explanation of these four Brahma-viharas. Metta as loving-kindness, benevolence, friendliness, or unconditional love. And a phrase that can be used for the practice is, may all beings be well, happy, and peaceful. Or, may all beings live at ease and in peace. Then the second Brahma-vihara is karuna, compassion. And a wish for this karuna practice is, for example, may all beings be free from suffering, or may all beings be free from danger and enmity. The third Brahma-vihara is mudita, sympathetic joy. And 
a phrase for the practice of mudita could be, may all beings enjoy safety and abundance, or may whatever happiness has been attained not be lost. And the fourth Brahmavihara is upeka, equanimity. And phrases for the upeka practice are, for example, all beings have karma as their true property. Or it could be a phrase like, things are as they are. So, I will briefly define these four Brahma-viharas. Metta, loving-kindness, is the basic and general attitude with which we relate to other beings. So this basic attitude should be one of kindness, of friendliness, of unconditional love. Then compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, they are more specific. But they all build on the basic foundation of having a kind and friendly disposition. A kind and friendly disposition in all our actions of body, speech, and mind. So the second Brahma-vihara, compassion, karuna. This is metta that encounters suffering or pain or distress. And it is said in the scriptures that the heart quivers when it encounters suffering of any kind. But compassion does not mean to suffer with the other. But instead, it's the sincere wish to relieve the suffering. And this is a very important point, because compassion is not a painful mental condition in which we suffer or are pulled down. On the contrary, compassion is a beneficial, a positive mental state that is open to the suffering, but at the same time, it envisions an improvement of the condition, a relief of the suffering. And with compassion, there is also a willingness to, to go out of one's way to help the other person, the other being. So it's this willingness to, to help relieve the suffering of others. And from this, joy or contentment arises. Then the third Brahma-vihara, sympathetic joy, mudita. This is metta that encounters happiness or that encounters success, wealth, or good health. So it's the ability to rejoice in the good fortune of others. Or it's the ability to rejoice in the happiness of our neighbor. 
or it's the ability to rejoice in the success of our rival. Then the fourth, Brahma Vihara, equanimity, Upeka, that's different. It has a different flavor. Equanimity is a balanced state of mind that is neither joyful and happy, nor is it distressed and sad. But equanimity is not indifference. Equanimity is based on understanding, based on, un on this understanding that things are as they are, basically understanding the law of cause and effect, or karma and its results. That's why the phrase, or a phrase that we can use for practice is, all beings have karma as their true property, or things are as they are. The classical description in the scriptures of these four qualities is the attitude of a mother for her four children. There is metta for her baby. It's just a general wish for the well-being and happiness of her little baby. Then there is compassion for her six-year-old child who is sick. So the wish to relieve the sickness, the suffering from the sickness. Then there is sympathetic joy for her teenager who is doing well at school. So the wish that her son will continue to have good marks. And then there is equanimity for her grown-up daughter who is an adult, adult and lives her own life. So allowing her daughter to live her own life without interfering, having this balanced state of mind. Bhikkhu Analayo is a German monk. He's a great scholar, but also a very de dedicated uh, practitioner, meditator. And he uses the following analogy for the four Brahma Viharas. Imagine that you are in a cold climate where the sun is experienced as something pleasant and positive. Metta is like the sun at midday, which shines its rays on all without making any kind of distinction. It gives warmth and light to all who are receptive to it. It's just there, radiating. Compassion is like the same sun at sunset, when darkness is very close by. Compassion opens the heart to all the suffering, to all the darkness in the world. 
Even though darkness is very close by at the time of sunset, the sun shines all the more beautifully, coloring the whole sky and shining a warm light on everybody. We know how beautiful the sunlight at sunset can be. Sympathetic joy is like sunrise, early morning. The birds are singing. There's a dewdrop on the branch of a tree. The sun shines and it sparkles like a diamond in the light. Just so is the willingness to rejoice in the good fortune of others, an attitude that is totally removed from envy or jealousy. So with these three sun images, midday, sunset, sunrise, we have images for the more outgoing qualities of the first three Brahma-viharas. And Bhikkhu Analayo then describes the fourth Brahma-vihara in this way. Equanimity is more of a standing back. It is not a looking away. It is not indifference. It is an open being there, a holding of the situation with awareness, but without moving towards others, without moving away from others, just allowing them to do or to be just the way they are. In this sun simile, equanimity finds its counterpart in the full moon, which reflects the sunlight. It is the beautiful moonlight, the sky free from clouds. It also shines, but not as brightly as the sun. It also gives some warmth, but not as strongly as the sun. It's a reflection of it. As I've said, metta is basically a samatha practice, um, developing concentration up to the absorptions or attaining the jhanas. And so with that, you know, the purpose of samatha is to calm the mind, to develop a tranquil, concentrated state of mind, which can reach the jhanas. And during the first metta retreat, Sayato gave one talk on the jhanas that can be attained through the metta practice. One of the advantages of metta meditation as a samatha practice is the fact that we do not only develop strong or deep concentration. On top of the concentration, we also cultivate and strengthen loving-kindness. Or, as is the case in the other Brahma-viharas, there we cultivate and strengthen compassion or sympathetic joy or equanimity. 
If we take another object of Samatha meditation, for example, Anapanasati, or one of the kasinas, a colored disc, with these objects, we only develop the concentration part. Well, by doing so, of course, we can enjoy all the benefits of a well-concentrated mind. You know, this is not nothing. But with the practice of metta, or any of the Brahma-viharas, we also cultivate and strengthen qualities of the heart and mind which are so important in the whole process of purifying our heart and mind. Qualities which are so important in the whole process of developing understanding and wisdom, which are also so important in the whole process of liberation. And last but not least, qualities which are so important for our day-to-day life. Here comes just one uh, example of how the metta, can, metta practice um, can be of benefit for our practice of liberation. Last year, I was teaching a one-month retreat in the Blue Mountains in Australia. And for the first week, it was metta meditation, then followed by three weeks of vipassana meditation. And most of the meditators in that retreat had never practiced metta for such a long time never for a whole week. You know, they may may have done uh, 10 minutes in a sitting meditation of metta or one hour of metta, maybe at the most a metta weekend. So for some it was quite challenging to do this practice. But then when they um, switched to the vipassana meditation, Basically, all of them were quite amazed of what this one week of metta meditation had made with them, like the transformation that had happened. First of all, they noticed that their mind was fairly concentrated. But then, what was really outstanding for most of them was the way they approached the vipassana meditation. And many of these meditators said that when doing the vipassana meditation, they were much kinder to themselves and kinder to difficult experiences. They really noticed this shift in the heart and mind. So they could approach the vipassana meditation practice with a more open heart, more accepting heart, they were less judgmental, less self-denigrating, and simply being more at ease with their difficult experiences. 
Yes, it's so true. The metta moisturizer makes our heart and mind soft and gentle, loving and kind, friendly and caring. So whether we call it metta or to have a good heart or to be kind and friendly, the important thing is to embody this quality, to live by it day in, day out. So here is an example of, you know, quite an ordinary person who embodied this quality of having a good heart or to have a heart filled with metta. This happened some years ago, somewhere in the United States, and a number of prisoners were waiting in a room before they had to appear at court. And a security guard was standing in front of the door, and the door had a small window. So the guard could see inside the room, and the prisoners could see outside into the aisle where the guard was. And all of a sudden, one of the prisoners just happened to see how the guard fell on the ground. And so the prisoner and then other prisoners, they started to shout to get attention from anybody to help this guard who had fallen down. But nobody came. And so this prisoner who first saw the guard falling, he started and then others helped to forcefully break open the door, which they finally managed. And later on, this man who took the initiative, he said, we forcefully opened the door and left our room, although we knew how dangerous it was. Some were afraid that the police would come and shoot us. But for me, it was just common sense to help this guard. It didn't matter that he was wearing a uniform and a weapon. He is a good person. Then finally, three policemen, policemen arrived. And of course, first of all, they thought that the prisoners wanted to escape and that they had knocked down the security guard. But in the end, everything was clarified and the guard soon recovered from his loss of consciousness. So when I read this article in a newspaper, again, it was so heartening. I was very touched to know that out there in the world there are meta-persons, you know, probably more than I am aware of. Meta is such a simple and natural quality of the heart and often it is manifested in quite simple and natural 
act, acts or actions. You know, no big deal, a kind word, a friendly look or a benevolent deed. Metta expressed in deeds, speech and thoughts are quite simple and natural actions. However, they make a big difference for us and others. And they leave a great impact and help make this world a friendlier and a kinder, a more peaceful place. I thank you very much for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.